You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. And Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. He is the one on whom we want to build our lives. And we're going to be talking a lot about him this morning because in the passage we've come to here in Matthew, it's all about Jesus's baptism and what that means for you and me. Good morning, everybody, and welcome, Grace family and friends. I'm Jay Messenger, and I am shooting with our producer, Jim Chase, on location right down here at the Sandy River. And we're doing this because our story this morning out of God's word takes place on the Jordan River. So we thought, what a better, there's no better morning than for us to come down on location to a river to talk about Jesus's baptism and what it means for us. And so you're gonna probably hear this family next to us who's playing and swimming in the water at times. There's people coming down to the beach all the time here. You may even see some rafts go by, so if they wave to you, just just wave back. If a jet flies over, it's no big deal. We are on one of the approach paths for PDX. It just One just flew over, but all that being said, baptism is intended to be a public event, and so we are down at the river in the course of daily life for a lot of these folks talking about baptism. And so, We don't know exactly where on the Jordan River Jesus was baptized, but we do know that he was baptized in the Jordan River. And five years ago, when you sent Jamie and I to Israel, we had the chance to go to the Jordan River and to go to a baptismal site, probably not the baptismal site where Jesus was baptized, because again, we don't know the exact place, but we do know it was the Jordan River. And so when we went to the Jordan River, on your screen in front of you is a picture of what you see when you go to this baptismal site. There's this long colonnade that you walk down to this building, and on these pillars or these walls are all these passages of Jesus' baptism in a ton of different languages. And the one you can see there is in English. This is out of the Gospel of Mark, and it is the parallel passage to what we're studying this morning in Matthew chapter 3. And all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, describe the baptism of Jesus. So as you walk into this baptism area on the Jordan River, you see Jesus' baptism in all these different languages, and this is what it actually looks like. This is one of the places on the Jordan River where it gets a little deeper and where it really is a great place to be baptized. And while we were there, there were a number of people who were being baptized in this very spot. So it was very cool to take all that in. So yes, we don't know the exact place on the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized, but this is what we do know. He was baptized in the Jordan River, and we do know why he was baptized, and what it means for us. And that's where we're going in this amazing passage here this morning. So let's get into the setting just a little bit if you're new to this series or maybe if you missed last week. But we enter this story in Matthew chapter 3 at a time in history where life is incredibly difficult for the Jewish people. They are longing for something better. And we can relate to that. With COVID and all that this has meant, for the changes in our lives, you know, we long for when things were better. So in some ways, we're uniquely positioned to understand just some of what they could have been feeling. But it wasn't just that they were longing for something better. Many years before the Romans had come, they had conquered that area and they were brutal 
and they were cruel and they were oppressive and life was difficult under all that. But if that wasn't enough, the people weren't just longing for their immediate circumstances to be better, they were longing for God to fulfill his promises. Because for thousands of years, God had promised that eventually he would send the chosen one, the Messiah. And that when Messiah came, there would be one who would come before him, Elijah, as a prophet, to announce the coming of the Messiah. So the people were not only on the lookout for the Messiah, they were on the lookout for Elijah and when he would come. And so this guy appears on the scene here in Matthew chapter 3, and he looks like Elijah, he dresses like Elijah, he even talks like Elijah. His message is a message of salvation and judgment, meaning that the day of the Lord, when the king, when the Messiah would come, was near. And that's where we entered the story last week. And of course, this guy who sounded like Elijah, looked like Elijah, had a similar message to Elijah, wasn't literally Elijah. He was one who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was John the Baptist. And John, as part of proclaiming this message, then began to baptize people, which wasn't unnecessarily unheard of, but he was baptizing them with what was called a baptism of repentance. By being baptized by John, the people were saying, yes, we realize we're broken. We realize we're selfish and sinful apart from right relationship with God. So we're getting baptized to make ourselves ready for when the Messiah comes. So let's very quickly draw some distinctions between what we're about to see in John's baptism and then in Jesus's baptism. Remember, as we look here from last week, Part of John's message was this, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So here we have this dual message of salvation and hope and of God's judgment. So John's baptism is a water baptism that signals a readiness to receive this amazing king and this amazing God. But this one who will come, the he who is being referred to here, whose sandals John isn't even worthy to carry, which was the job of a slave or a servant, this one will come and he will come with a baptism of power, a baptism that gives the ability to turn from sin and to receive right relationship with God. And that's what repentance, as we looked at last week, is all about. Turning from our brokenness and sinfulness and turning to God for right relationship with Him. So that is where we now will pick up this story of this one who was to come. And who was the one to come? It tells us right here. Then Jesus, the one who was to come, came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending on him like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well 
pleased. Just four short verses, but loaded with meaning and impact and yes, transformational truth for you and me. So let's begin to unpack that. So why did Jesus get baptized? Doesn't baptism show that you want to turn away from your sins? So what sins was Jesus confessing? What sins was he wanting to turn away from? And of course, the answer is none. There was no sin in Jesus. He was in perfect right relationship with God because he was and is God. So it begs the question, so why was he baptized? Well, it tells us in this passage, the first reason, the first reason Jesus gives is to fulfill all righteousness. By his baptism, Jesus wasn't confessing personal sin. He was showing that he had the Father's approval. And here we see, my friends, a beautiful picture of the Trinity. The three persons of God, yet one God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all talked about in this passage. And when the Father speaks his love and approval over Jesus as his Son, He's actually reaching back into the Old Testament and there are two realities that he's bringing forth. One is out of Psalm chapter 2 when he says, this is my son. Psalm 2 is this beautiful psalm in the Old Testament that talks about this king who will come, who will rule the nations, but he will break the nations that conspire against him, that refuse to repent and turn to him in right relationship, and he will wield a rod of iron. It's, It's this message of salvation and judgment. And then when the father says he loves the son, and when the father says he's proud of him, he has his approval, that's reaching back to Isaiah 42. And I just happened to read that in my own personal reading this morning. And in reading that, you have this picture of this suffering servant, this one who will bring justice, but he will bring it in a way that no one would ever expect. He will bring it through weakness and through suffering. And it will be victory through defeat, life through death. And so you put all this together and you have these amazing words from the Father showing his approval for Jesus. But, but it's more than that. He says, you're mine. You're my son. He says, I love you. And he says, I approve of you. Or I think another way that can be said is, I am proud of you. Many years ago at Grace, we brought in a program as part of our men's ministry called Men's Fraternity. And one of the things that it talked about is it was geared towards men and fathers and husbands was how important it was for us, especially as dads, as fathers, to say these very words to our kids. And what I would submit to you is that kids of all ages need to hear this message that the father speaks to his son. And so I took this to heart. And way back when, when we did this, I wrote a letter to all my kids individually and made sure that I told each of them in writing, you're mine and I'm so glad you are and I love you and I am so proud of you. Because if something ever happened to me, I wanted them to have a written record of how I felt about them. And on their 18th birthday, I gave that letter to each one of them. My friends, kids of all ages need to hear this. My dad 
in the final days before he died, while he was still lucid, he very purposely looked me in the eye and said, son, I am proud of you. I will carry that with me as his kid the rest of my life. And so, dads, fathers, I would appeal to you, if you have not done this recently, here's some application for you. Today, or before too much more time goes by, you tell your kids that you're glad they're yours, that you love them, and that you were pleased with them, that you are proud of them. And in your family, if there, for whatever reason, isn't a dad in the picture, then moms, grandparents, aunts, uncles, if you are in proximity to a kid who is somehow connected to you, then you express this message to them because all kids need to hear this. And this is what the father expressed to the son. So there's divine foreshadowing going on here. This king is the suffering servant. And yes, he is going to suffer and bring victory through defeat. And so as part of Jesus' baptism is it's being publicly announced to everyone that the king has come, that his ministry as the Messiah, as the promised one, as the chosen one, as the king is now going to begin. And when it says that the spirit comes upon Jesus, that's to fill him and empower him for his ministry as Messiah. And so we see the approval, the presence and the power of God here through his Holy Spirit. And my friends, the son, Jesus is going to need the power of the spirit with with what's coming his way. When we get into chapter four of next week, you'll see why Jesus needed the filling and the power and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what God had for him. Because ultimately, it's that spirit-led power that will enable Jesus to go to the cross, to die an incredibly excruciating death, but then to rise again to new life. Which brings us to the next reason why Jesus had to be baptized. He wasn't confessing his own sin. He was identifying himself with ours. He was identifying with our sin, our brokenness, and our failure. Because you see, this isn't just about our identity. It really is all about his identity as the king and the suffering servant. You see, we know from piecing some things together that Jesus was beginning his ministry at about 30 years of age. So he had been in this sinful, broken world for, for 30 years. And no, he didn't have any personal sin, but many scholars and our Dr. Gary Brashears believe, and it makes sense to me that he had been defiled by the sin and brokenness of this world. So part of this washing was this washing and renewing of that for him, not cleansing from his own sin, but from our sin, because what ultimately happened is that Jesus is defiled by all of our sin. He takes upon all of our brokenness and sin on himself on the cross. In the New Testament, one of my favorite passages and verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God made him, Jesus, him who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, on that cross, somehow Jesus took all my brokenness, all those things I'm ashamed of, all those things I should feel guilty about, all my selfishness and garbage and junk in my life of a lifetime, he took that all upon himself 
And there was an exchange that happened there. He not only removed that from me by his death, burial, and resurrection, he gives me his righteousness, his power for right relationship. And again, divine foreshadowing going on here. Jesus eventually will become sin for us, will go down in death, and will rise again to new life. And finally, he gets baptized to set an example for us. Jesus got baptized, we get baptized. This is a command for us that if we are going to be in right relationship with God, we choose to make that choice by receiving Jesus Christ into our life, then the very next step for us is to get baptized. And as a good Baptist, I would be remiss to not point out that it says Jesus came up out of the water. He was immersed. And immersion as a mode of baptism captures the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it also demonstrates what's happened in our life when we receive Jesus into our life, when we are baptized by the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit entering our lives. It shows that we're trapped in our sins. We can't cleanse ourselves. And going down in the water shows that our sins are being washed away through the power of the Holy Spirit, not actually by the water itself. It's symbolizing that. And then when we come up out of the water, it shows that we have a new life, that we're a new person. And so, yes, sometimes there are good reasons not to be baptized by immersion. But at Grace, that is the primary mode that we practice because it's how Jesus was baptized. The word literally means baptize, to immerse, to dip, or to plunge. Because again, it's demonstrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So there's a lot of truth here. So what difference does it make for you and me in the here and now? Well, we are going to come back and look at the implications of this for you and me. But as we prepare to do so, let's remind ourselves of what this amazing God has done on our behalf. We're gonna sing about his glory. We're gonna sing about his sacrifice, the shedding of his blood, the losing of his life voluntarily so that we could have life through him. So let's sing about that together and then we'll come back and look at what this means for you and me. So he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And now we need to spend some time talking about what does this mean that the King of Kings has come? What does his baptism mean for you and me? Well, first off, it reminds us of this reality that if you have entered into right relationship with God through receiving Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, you are a new creation. Again, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, just a couple verses before that 1 Corinthians passage that I quoted earlier this morning, this passage says, If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Because as we looked at last week, the reality with this God is that He does not want to make you a good person, and he does not want to make you a better person, that is not a deep enough change. He wants to make you a brand new person. You see, empty religion attempts to encourage us, call us, motivate us to clean ourselves from the outside in. You know, try to be a better person. Adhere to this code. Follow that ritual. Do this. Do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Those will change behavior but they won't change the core of us, what the Bible calls our hearts. But the Bible teaches that God changes us, not from the outside in, but from the inside 
out. You see, the reality is the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Our core needs to change, not just our behavior. Our attitudes, our motives, our values, and yes, our behavior, all of us needs to change because apart from Jesus, apart from right relationship with God through him, as we looked at last week, we're all broken. We're all sinful. We all start out in the same place. And one of the analogies that the Bible uses to help us understand the effect and the impact and the pervasiveness of sin is that it stinks. Our sin smells. It stinks to God. And this reminds me of something that that happened to me when I was in middle school. I had a friend who lived in the country. I was a city kid, lived in the suburbs, never really went out into the country. Hadn't really been around farm animals, but they had a little mini farm out in the country. And my friend, his name was Eddie, Eddie invited me to come spend the night with him and, and go hang out on his farm, which was great. So we, we, I go over there that night and um, we're out there playing and running around the field and stuff. And he says, hey, have you ever seen pigs? And I have, but not up close. And he says, let's go to the pig pen. I thought, okay. So we go to the pig pen and he jumps up on the fence, the pen, that the pigs are in and he says, you gotta watch this. And this big 600 pound sow comes, you know, waddling by and he waits till she's right below him and he jumps off the fence onto her back and he rides her all around the pen and then, you know, falls off in the pen. It was epic. I had to do that. And so I jumped up on the fence. The next big pig came by, jumped on its back, rode it around. We spent the whole evening playing in the pig pen. Now, my friends, what's in a pig pen? Well, pigs and piggy poop, a lot of it. And we played in it so long and had so much fun, we had no appreciation for how stinky we were. We were covered in pig poop, but we didn't notice it. We had gotten used to it. And so when we finally came in that night, when Eddie's mom called us to come in for dinner, we came to the back door and she met us there and she said, you are not coming into this house. And we were stunned. We're like, well, why? You stink. And she demanded that we strip down right there, which we did. And she, you know, put each of us in the shower and said, do not come out until you are clean. My friends, this is why we need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, baptized by Jesus' spirit to have him come into our lives because our sin problem runs so deep that trying to be better, trying to work harder, trying to be a good person is not a deep enough change. It's like being covered in pig poop and scraping it off where you can. It doesn't address the core of the problem. You need to be washed. You need to be cleansed just like Eddie and I needed to. And that is true for us. My friends, you don't need to change your behavior. You need a savior. So is he your savior? Is there a defining moment or a defining season in your life where you have invited him into your life, where you've received him into your life to follow him, to love him, to, to know and experience him? Because my friends, if you've done that, then water baptism shows that you've done that, that your sins have been cleansed and have been washed away. Because we're not just a new creation, we also have a new identity. Do you realize 
that because of who Jesus is, because of his identity, that he is the promised king, he is God himself, who has died on a cross in our place, removed our sin, and in exchange given us his righteousness, that because of his identity, we have a new identity. Do you realize in the New Testament, Jesus followers, those who are in right relationship with God are never referred to as sinners ever again. They're referred to as saints. Because again, righteousness with God is more than just morality and behavior. It's about right relationship with him. You see, Jesus got baptized not to repent in our place, but to live in our place. To show us what the spirit-filled life looks like, a life of trusting and obeying and loving God. And then he gives us the power to live like that through the Holy Spirit. You see, once again, this is so distinctive and so different from empty religion. Empty religion says, you try to live a righteous life and you give that to God. But the Bible teaches that Jesus lived a righteous life and he gives it to us. Which means because of the Holy Spirit, we have a new power. We have a new ability and empowerment to trust and obey God. That's our part, to trust and obey him. Yes, it does matter how we live our lives, but God empowers us to live in right relationship with him, to live righteously through his spirit because the Holy Spirit is the presence of God, but he's also the power of God. And my friends, as we looked at last week, repenting, turning from our sin is more than just stopping sinning. It's replacing that brokenness with righteousness. It's about producing fruit. And that's the amazing thing about what it means to follow Jesus. You don't just stop your brokenness. You replace it with right living, trusting and obeying God. You know, one of the vivid examples of this in the New Testament is where it says in Ephesians 4.28, and I'm giving you the J rough translation here, but it basically says, you who have been stealing, if you're a thief, you should do good and then share with others. Do you realize how radical that is? That's saying to someone who steals, you not only need to stop stealing, but now you need to work so that you can have something good to share with other people. It's not just about stopping and taking, it's about giving as well. That's about a complete, radical, 180 degree change and transformation. That is a turning from a broken life to a giving life. How do you do that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So are you listening to and responding to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you doing that this morning? Because my fear for some of you, my concern for some of you, is you ignore the Holy Spirit. You dilute the Holy Spirit. You question the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, or you even deny Him. And because of that, you're not producing fruit. Because you either don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, or you're not listening to him when he does prompt you and speak to you. And so my prayer for you has been that you would listen to and respond to the Holy Spirit. But my friends, this is where we need each other. 
It is a lifetime journey of learning to recognize and respond to and live out the power of the Holy Spirit, to grow in your intimacy with Him. And we're here to help you do that. That's one of the reasons why we encourage you to gather in small groups. And even with these current COVID restrictions, we still can do that. If 10 or or less of you can, please, we encourage you to gather together. Watch this sermon or other sermons together. Have a watch party or gather together for a Bible study because we discover and experience the Holy Spirit not just individually, but together. And for those of you who want more focused teaching and training and development with this, we have a process called discipleship where we have folks who have gone through some very specific equipping who would love to come alongside you and help you learn to recognize and respond to and live out the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And those folks are available to you, even in this season of COVID. We can practice social distancing for that to happen. It can happen even over Zoom or through a phone call. So this is my appeal to you. On the screen there, you will see the footer of our website. And right off to the left in the footer, there's an email address that says info at gracecc.net. If you want help finding a small group community, would you please use that to email us? If you would like to begin meeting with someone about discipleship, whether that's through Zoom or a phone call or social distance, in presence, whatever, we will work to connect you to those resources and make that happen. Because at the end of the day, my friends, we need each other to live out the power of the Holy Spirit. Community and church was always designed to be that way, but but let's, let's move on. You see, the reality is that being baptized with Christ also means a new future for us. Do you believe that Jesus was a historical figure? Do you believe that what we read in the Bible is history? That he really did come? You know, Jesus is arguably, and I think it's far and away, hands down true, the most influential person who has ever walked the face of the earth. No one, virtually no one denies that there really was a Jesus Christ, that there there really was someone named Jesus who appeared in history. So my friends, assuming that's true, if Jesus came the first time, then when he says he's going to come back a second time, Can't we trust and believe that? I mean, his first coming is history. It's historical fact. And yes, he has said he's going to come again. And when he comes again, he is going to bring completion to his kingdom. Remember last week, part of John the Baptist's message was the kingdom of God is is near. And when Jesus came, he started that, that kingdom. And he's going to complete that kingdom and bring it to full completion when he comes back a second time. He will restore things to the way God always intended them to be, to shalom. So we can expect that. We can live our lives in anticipation of that. But what that means is we also have a responsibility to live what we know. And and God, through his Holy Spirit, through his word, gives us a lot of direction and a lot of instruction on how we are to live in right relationship with God. Because when we do that, that's the the path to blessing and joy and fulfillment. So live what you know. In fact, the elders and I heard that very message here recently. 
together we listened to this justice roundtable that was um, brought together by some um, of the believers in our city where some weeks ago black pastors and civic and community leaders who know and love the Lord, all of them, got together for this roundtable and they talked very openly about what's going on in our culture with racial justice and race relations and what can the church do and what's our responsibility as a church. And they said, yes, we absolutely want to put ourselves right now in a posture of listening and learning because we all have a lot of listening and learning to do. But it doesn't mean we come become paralyzed by doing nothing by becoming overwhelmed. My friends, there's a lot we know that we can do. And the elders, we spent quite a bit of time these last couple weeks talking about, well, what is it that we know we can do and that we're already doing as a church to live in right relationship with one another, to live out racial justice, to promote racial justice, to speak out against racism and prejudice and, and sin. And there's a lot we can do, there's a lot we've been doing, and there's a lot we will continue to do. And one of those things that we've referenced with you some weeks ago was we were developing a video resource with some resources to equip you to be able to live out racial justice and to be able to engage with these issues in a godly, biblical way. And we've since decided that a video is just not going to be the best medium for that. Because what we've found, and hopefully you've found this too, is there are a ton of fantastic resources that are out there that can do a much better, more deliberate job of equipping us than what we could do in a 20 or 30 minute video. So this is what we are going to do in terms of equipping you and giving you some resources to look forward to. In the coming weeks, we will post and make available to you a resource sheet of all sorts of articles and videos that speak very powerfully to us as believers that are all biblical and grounded in God's word and truth that will help us be able to meaningfully engage and do what we know we should do when it comes to racial justice and our relationships with one another. And in the future, probably later this fall, we're going to convene a roundtable with people of color in our community and in our church, and we're just going to have a roundtable where we talk and discuss together about what it means to live as Christ's family and Christ's community in our relationships together. And that will be coming later this fall at some point, and we'll let you know when that is going to happen. But my friends, this is about doing something with, with what we know. And that absolutely is true when it comes to baptism. You see, I chose to receive Jesus Christ into my life as my Lord and Savior as a high school student. And many of you know my story. I went away to a camp, no intention of getting into this Jesus stuff. And God had a different plan for my life. The Holy Spirit was speaking to me powerfully through the course of that week. And eventually I chose to receive Jesus Christ into my life. I was, as it's being described in this passage, baptized by the Holy Spirit. God himself came into my life. And then I went home. And about that time we moved. And we moved across the state, actually here to Portland, to the Portland area. I got involved in a church for the first time. Many months went by, hadn't been baptized. This church I was going to start at a daughter church, a church plant, a new church. And so I went to be a part of that for a while. And this church plant had no resources. It was a brand new church in a small community so we didn't have a baptistry there wasn't really the means to be baptized and so 
the pastor rightfully said, well, we've got to find a way to get people baptized. So we're going to use the city pool. And so the church talked to the city pool and they said, sure. So the Hillsborough Aquatic Center, the city pool that we went to, let us use their pool that summer. I happened to be on the swim team at my high school. That was the pool where I swam and where I practiced. And a number of my friends, I wasn't, but a number of my friends were on the city team, the Hillsborough Aquatic Center team as well. And so when it came time for my baptism, I was baptized in an outdoor pool. And as I was gathered there with the rest of the church and as I was telling my story, I managed to look across the way and through the glass, here was the entire city swim team looking out the glass at me, many of them my friends, who had no idea that I was a Jesus follower, and they saw me get baptized. And for the next several months, I had a number of opportunities to explain what that baptism meant, that Jesus Christ had come into my life, and he had changed me. And even though that event had happened like a year earlier, I was now choosing to show that it happened through water baptism. My friends and family, I would venture to guess there are a number of you who have entered into right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but you have never been able to demonstrate that, to show that, to declare that through baptism. And I'm excited to tell you that COVID does not stop the power of the Spirit of God, does not stop the power of life change, does not change the reality that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He is the King. He is the Savior. He is the one who transforms us and gives us right relationship with God through relationship with him. So here's the deal. How can we talk about baptism? How can we talk about Jesus' baptism and not offer to baptize you? So that's exactly what we're doing. In the coming weeks, we would love to baptize you. We will find a pool. We will keep the gathering small and compliant to COVID restrictions. We'll socially distance, but we will dunk you. We will baptize you. And we'll do it in a pool. We'll do it in a river like the Sandy here. We'll find water and we will baptize you. And we will make sure that we tape that on a phone or a camera and then we'll edit that and be able to upload it in these coming weeks as well so that the church family can celebrate your baptism with you because baptism was always and has always been intended to be a public expression of faith in Jesus Christ. Once again, that's in part why we're down here on the Sandy River because it's a place like this where we'd like to baptize you or a pool like I was baptized in. So this is my encouragement to you. That same email address at the footer of our website that you see on your screen now, info at gracecc.net. If you have never been baptized, would you let us baptize you? Doesn't matter if you received Jesus this morning or if you received Jesus 40 years ago. If you've never been baptized, we would love to baptize you and to be a part of that in your life. You email us, you tell us you want to get baptized, give us your contact information, we will get a hold of you. And we will set something up and we will get you baptized. Because my friends, my friends, I should say, this God who comes into our lives doesn't just make us better. He doesn't just make us good. He makes us brand new. We have a new identity, a new power, and a new future to look forward to. Because someday 
we will forever be with him. And so we need to sing about that. We need to celebrate that. This God is exactly who he says he is, and we are exactly who he says we are through our relationship with him. So let's sing about that together. And this God is the famous one. And we should tell his story because we have an incredible story to tell. Because when this God comes into our life, he makes us a new creation. He gives us a new identity. We have a new power and we have a new future to look forward to. And one of the ways we tell that story is through baptism. So my appeal to you once again is if you have not been baptized, we would love to baptize you. Please get a hold of us through our webpage, our homepage and the footer there in the lower left-hand side where it says info at gracecc.net. Would you click that button? Tell us you'd like to get baptized. We will get a hold of you and we will make it happen in the coming weeks. Because my friends, there's nothing better than knowing and loving and experiencing this God. And so I'd like to leave you with these words at the end of the book of Hebrews. This is a benediction, it is a blessing that was prayed over them. And I would like to pray this over you. It says this, now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, the Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. So now as you go into the rest of your day and the rest of your week, live through the Holy Spirit for him. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.